friends, it's time for us to study God's Word together. We're continuing our study through the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, so please take your copy of God's Word. Turn to Isaiah chapter 51 and 52 this morning. Our sermon text actually begins in the middle of 51 and goes through almost the end of 52. So while our sermon text applies to everyone, I think that it's going to be most encouraging to those of us who feel weary, defeated, maybe even sometimes depressed as a result of our daily battle with sin and suffering in this life. So those who experience the battle most intensely cry out to God to save them. But when the sin or when the suffering continues, they often feel like God is distant and doing nothing to help. Have you ever been there? But our sermon text this morning is going to show us that God has already done everything necessary to help us. And he is calling us to wake up and act on the salvation that he has already promised. Wake up, church. That's a calling that we need this morning, isn't it? Wake up. Just look at the two chapters that we're studying together, Isaiah 51 and 52, and we're going to see that that call to wake up is the main point in this section. Look at chapter 51, verse 9. Do You see, awake, awake. Look in chapter 51, verse 17. Wake yourself, wake yourself. Look at chapter 52, verse 1. Awake. Awake! Here's the main point. While we have no strength to deliver ourselves from sin and suffering, we do not have to be defeated by it. God has given us the strength to live in victory by laying hold of His promises by faith. So, for everyone who is weary, staggering under sin and suffering in this life, my prayer is that you will wake up and act on the salvation that God has promised you. Our sermon text has two main parts. Part number one, God's people call on God to wake up and save us. But very interesting, part number two, God calls on his people, wake up and act on the salvation that I've already promised you. 
What an interesting dynamic, huh? Well, let's read the first part together. Isaiah 51, verse 9 through 16. I I just strongly encourage you to follow along in the text. This is the first part where God's people, just like me and you, living under the sun, experiencing sin and suffering, where God's people are calling on God. Wake up, God, and save us. Let's read it. Isaiah 51, verse 9 through 20, pardon me, through 16. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Verse 12, the Lord responds, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass and have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit. Neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. So part number one, we see... God's people calling on God to wake up and save us. So the situation here for God's people in Isaiah is that God's people, Judah, are living as captives in Babylon, which means that every day for about 60 or 70 years, they have been living in a foreign land doing forced labor. It's hard for us to put ourselves in that kind of a situation. But whatever we're experiencing in suffering, in sin and in life, that is a very palatable and real experience of suffering. God is allowing his people 
to experience the consequences of their own unfaithfulness and idolatry. And God's people there in Babylon at this time in history are weary. They're depressed. They're defeated. The text actually describes them with vivid imagery. Look at chapter 51, verse 17. The text describes God's people as if they're in a drunken stupor from experiencing the waves of God's judgment on their sin. They're they're out of it. They're in this drunken stupor. Look at 51.17. Wake yourself, wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. So God's people there in Babylon are staggering from the wrath of God against their unfaithfulness and idolatry. And they are out of it. Their relationship with God is characterized by apathy and inactivity. Now, just like we have, they have been hearing from the prophet Isaiah about the faithfulness of God to redeem them. I mean, just remember in chapter 49 and 50, we heard about the faithfulness of God that calls us to faithfulness. And then last week, Alan showed us from chapter 50 and 51, the faithfulness of God's servant. But it's been so long. 60, 70 years now, they're wondering if God really will be faithful to deliver them. Because it seems as if God is doing nothing. It seems like God has just left them in their sin and suffering. So here in verse 9 through 11, we see God's people crying out for salvation. Out of that desperation and despair, God's people cry out, Notice there in verse 9, Awake, O Lord, as if God is asleep or doing nothing and has abandoned them. Show your strength. Bear your arm. In verse 9 and 10, Save us just like you saved our ancestors from Egypt. Like the generations long ago. See there in verse 9 and 10, you cut down Rahab and the Pierce the dragon. Those are Old Testament images for Egypt. And you see there in verse 10, the references to drying up the sea and making a way for the redeemed to return. Verse 11, they say, save us just like you saved them. Save us so that we can return from the difficulty of Babylon back to Zion where there's going to be a song in our heart and a crown of joy in our heads and our houses are going to be filled with gladness and joy and our life is not going to be marked by so much sadness. All of this is to show us what the people of God are experiencing there in captivity. In in other words, 
God's people are crying out to God to deliver them from this situation. And so then in verse 12 through 16, still part of this first section, as they cry out, God responds to them. They cry out for God, uh, for salvation, but God commits himself. He makes sure they understand, I haven't forsaken you. So in verse 12 through 16, just like we read there, look at verse 12. The Lord responds to his covenant people with a personal commitment to save. In verse 12, he says, I, I am he who comforts you. And look there in verse 12, he says, who are you? Note the emphasis. I am he, but who are you? Who are you to live in fear of man? Who are you that you have forgotten me? Which means that they are living with a solely horizontal view, looking only at their circumstances and situations, and they have forgotten to bring God into the equation. They're living life based on what they feel rather than the truth of God about them. Verse 15, he says, and I love this, I am the Lord, your God. Every time you see that word, you ought to circle it, emphasize it, highlight it in some way, and take it personally, fellow Christian. God is not just God of the universe. God is the God of his covenant people. And he makes it personal for you. I am the Lord, your God. And what he says in verse 15, 14 through 16, is he says, I'm exercising my absolute godness to save you because you are mine. Look at verse 14 and 15. He describes his godness. He says he's the Lord of creation, the one who made and stretched out the heavens and laid the earth and stirs up the seeds. He sees, he says he's the Lord of the heavenly armies. Verse 16, and what does the God of heaven and earth do? He covers his people in the shadow of his hand. I remember finding little baby bunnies in our yard and we picked them up and we covered them, cradling them in the shadow of of our hand, and yes, we put on gloves before we did it so that we didn't, didn't ruin the scent. But just so tender. God says, you're mine. I'm covering you in the shadow of my hand. In verse 16, he says, you are my people. Can you hear God saying that to you? Really? We can identify with Judah, can't we? When we experience sin and suffering, it's natural to become anxious and feel like God has forsaken us. It's easy to forget that we are God's and that He cares for us and is covering us in the shadow of His hand. But friends, God is committed to His covenant people. 
And he's always working, always exercising his absolute godness in the direction of accomplishing his good purposes, even through hard providence. God hadn't forsaken or forgotten his people in Babylon. God purposefully sent his people to Babylon because he loved them too much to leave them in their unfaithfulness and idolatry. And so while God's people are calling out, God, wake up and save us from this bad situation. Now we understand why God looks back down to them and calls them in the second half of our sermon text. It's you who needs to wake up and act on the salvation that I've already promised you. And so we come to the second section. Chapter 51. We see here three calls to action. Three calls to action from God to his people in response to the salvation that he's already promised. And, and they're all three of them emphasized by the repetition of the imperative verb. So this is the Hebrew way of highlighting something. Repetition. Here are the three calls to action. Look at chapter 51, verse 17. God says, wake yourself. Wake yourself. Do you see the double imperative? Call to action number two. Chapter 52, verse 1. Awake, awake, God says to his people. Using the language that they're calling on him, he calls them. And then call to action number three. Chapter 52, verse 11. Depart, depart. For the sake of this sermon, I'll put it like this, and I think you'll see why as I go through this text and explain. God says to his people, his lethargic, apathetic, defeated, and depressed people in Babylon, God says, get up, get dressed, get going. Call to action number one. Get up. Chapter 51, verse 17 through 23. Let's read this together. God says to his people, Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering, There is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction. 
famine and sword. Who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. You shall drink no more, and I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, bow down that we may pass over. And you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. In response to God's people calling on him to wake up and save us, God calls them, wake yourself up. Do you see the reflexive nature of that verb? Look there in verse 17. You, do this to yourself. Wake yourself up. You're in a drunken stupor. You're not thinking right. You have been rocked by my wrath. And you have drunk down to the dregs. That means, friends, good news, it's gone. It's over. God's chastisement and judgment against their sin is over and done with. And God here promises them that he's going to take the cup of his staggering judgment from their hand and give it to those who have been oppressing them, namely Babylon. That's the gospel. God takes from sinners like us who deserve it, his wrath, and places it on his son who bore his wrath on our place and then put away his wrath forever. And the only ones who will ever experience the wrath of God are the enemies of God. Listen, friends, you don't have to ever experience the wrath of God against sin if you'll just come to the Lord Jesus Christ who drunk down the wrath of God to the dregs, there's nothing left but grace. And so God says, call to action number one, wake yourself up. And notice in verse 17 through 20, he emphasizes their inability to save themselves. He says, not only could you not save yourselves, but your sons can't save you either. Why? Because all of your sons are just as much a sinner as you are. In fact, they're laying at the head of the street like an antelope caught in a net. There's not a single one of us who can save ourselves or save each other. We're all sinners to the core. There's only one son who can save us, the son of God, who became the son of man so that the sons of men can become sons of God again. 
And so emphasizing their inability, God says in verse 21, his ability. He says, but I am the Lord who pleads the cause of his people. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God makes it his work and purpose in life to take up the cause of his people? Behold, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the wrath from you and give it to the enemies. Snap to. Wake up, friend. The first thing that we need to do is confess the truth of the gospel. We can't save ourselves. But God not only can and will, He has already done it. God's work is always first. And man's work is always second in response to the finished work of God. So God says, wake yourselves up. I've already done everything that's necessary. Stop living in defeat. Snap too. Wake up to the truth of the gospel. And that's something that I need because I can wallow with the best of them. The gospel snaps our attention and tells us something different than what we feel. Call to action number two. Call to action number two, verses, chapter 52, verse one through six. Not only are we supposed to get up, but now in call to action number two, God says, get dressed. Get up, get dressed. Let's read it. Chapter 52, verse 1 through 6. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there. And the Assyrian oppression, pardon me, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taking away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually All the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. Call to action number one. 
Get up. Call to action number two. Get dressed. It starts with the word awake. But quickly, there are five verbs that show us what God means for His people to wake up and snap to. Five verbs. Notice them there in verse 1 and 2. Put on. Shake off. Arise. Be seated. And loose the bonds. Now that is not a picture of the Christian life. There isn't a more beautiful one in the scriptures. God says, awake, get up, get dressed. To his people there in Babylon, they have lost their identity. They've forgotten who they are. They are feeling the guilt of their sin. They're wallowing in the dust. They are laying down. And they're settling in to their bonds. God says to them five things. Put on your strength. But I don't feel like I have much strength, Lord. You've got it. Wake up to it. Put on your strength. What else? Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. You're a holy city. God tells His people who they are. You're my people and you're beautiful and I have set you apart as mine, holy. Shake off the dust. Shake off the guilt of your sin. I've put it away. Arise, get up from the dust, and do what? Be seated. Be seated back on the throne of God's kingdom, where you're supposed to be, Jerusalem. And at the end there, the fifth one, loose the bonds, the shackles from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. And why should they get up and get dressed? Verse 3 through 6, I encourage you to go back and read this again. It's, it's a rather confusing text, but John Oswald helps us by saying that what God is saying here is that just like Israel has not been sold to satisfy any debt of his, therefore, God doesn't have to buy her back. He'll just simply take back what is rightfully his own, and he's going to do it for the glory of his own name. Get up. Get dressed. And then two gods, depressed and defeated, apathetic and lethargic people in Babylon, God's third call to action. Get going. Get going. This time, rather than supporting it with the promise... He starts with the promise and then calls them to act on the promise. Look at chapter 52, verse 7 through 12. This is call number three. Get going. 52, 7. 
How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Verse 12, verse 11, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out in haste. And you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you. And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Three calls to action. Defeated. Weary. Apathetic. half hearted Christian. Get up. Get dressed. Get going. You don't need to live in captivity to sin and suffering anymore. Why? How can we, who are still here in Babylon, you understand that, that Babylon represents the Sin and suffering outside of the garden. We're still here. We still have the proverbial, uh, you know, shackles around our neck. But God says, take them off. Stop wallowing in the dust. Get up. Why? Because there's something true about you that's deeper than your external experience. And what God says about you is that the work that God has already accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has changed everything about you. You're a whole new person with a new heart and a new power to live a new life in new community under the new covenant. Everything's different now. You don't have to wait until heaven to start living like that. You get to still live like that right now while we're still in proverbial Babylon. Outside the garden. Under the sun. Experiencing the curse of sin and death. We don't have to be defeated by it, friends. And we don't have to imagine something into existence. 
We just believe what God has already said is true. And let that be at the forefront of our vision. So that we begin to live differently. Call to action number three. God says to his people, depart, depart. But before he tells them to depart, he gives them this beautiful announcement. One of the most incredible verses in scripture that I always limited. Man, did this thing get bigger and better this week. Every time I heard Isaiah 52, 7 in the past, I I interpreted it narrowly as an exhortation for Christians to have beautiful feet and go share the gospel with others. And that's a good, helpful application of it. Paul is the one who uses it in Romans chapter 10. It's a good application, friends. But it's not the only application. And in fact, I'll go on record and say it's not even the main application. The main application is that the good news and the beautiful feet have announced the gospel so that you, as God's people, can now go live in victory. And that's a message worth sharing with others. So we see here in verse 7 through 10, this promise, this announcement of salvation. Just look at it again in verse 7. Look at the greatness of this message. You see that that it's described as good news a number of times and that the, the one who's bringing this good news, the news is so good that you would even call the ugliest part of his body beautiful because he's bringing such wonderful news. I mean... The messenger's feet are beautiful because of the goodness of the news that he brings. Look at the, also in verse 7, the content of the message. The fourfold content of the gospel. Yes, the gospel is about sin. But don't forget that the gospel is also about these four things. Number one, look, peace. Number two, happiness. Number three, salvation. And the essence of the gospel, your God reigns. Sin doesn't reign. The devil doesn't reign. Your flesh doesn't reign. Your God reigns now. And that is a beautiful, glorious message that changes everything. I'm afraid that we emphasize rightly sin and repentance to where it overshadows what the gospel gives us, which is peace and happiness. Man, I grew up in a church where you weren't even allowed to say the word happy. It had to be joy because Joy is spiritual and happy is only based on your happenings and it's circumstantial. Isaiah's using the word happiness. I'll take it. The problem is most Christians are not peaceful. And most Christians are 
not happy. Why? Because we're depressed and defeated. We're weary. Because all we can see is our sin and our suffering. Get up. Get dressed. And get going. Look at verse 11. After this announcement, which, by the way, not only does the messenger announce, but then look, the watchmen, they get all happy about it. Then Jerusalem, as if Jerusalem is a cartoon, the trees and the ground and the walls start singing. Jerusalem itself just starts praising something. What is it that they praise? The Lord has returned. The king has returned to his kingdom. And then one more, one more person, the messenger, the watchman, Jerusalem itself, and then the ends of the earth are excited. The nations are glad in the end because of all that God has accomplished through his son and for his people. And because of that, verse 11 and 12, God says, depart. Depart as if you didn't hear me the first time. It's time to leave captivity in Babylon. It's time to live in victory. So what does it look like to depart? It looks like leaving that which has kept you in bondage, which is sin. It's leaving behind the sins of the flesh and the the fears of the heart and and leaving behind the, the things that are opposed to God. And what else is it? It's purifying. Do you see there? Uh, those priests who are going to carry the vessels, purify yourself. It's time we're going back home. And this is where Ezra and Nehemiah pick up the story. And we see literally the people of God leaving Babylon under Cyrus, who is the temporary servant of God in Isaiah, who is a Christ figure, a pagan emperor of Persian, who's a Christ figure, sending God's people back to God's place so that they can enjoy God's blessings. And we see all of this happening in Isaiah, uh, pardon me, in uh, Ezra and in Nehemiah. He says, purify yourselves. Friends, that's what we need to do. We need to turn our back on sin and we need to purify ourselves. I, I don't think that the application of this is hard for any of us. We see this in Ephesians, don't we? This is the calling of the Christian life. Christian. Every single day, in every situation in which you experience the curse of sin and suffering, every day, here's what you need to do. Get up, get dressed, and get going. And by sin, I mean the problems in your marriage, the challenges in your parenting, the issues in your relationship, the sins that you commit, and the sins that you omit. By suffering. I mean health problems. I mean financial stress. I I mean... Job loss, I mean old age and death, whatever it is that we experience under the sun. 
Don't live life by your feelings. Get up. Get dressed. Get going. Based on the beautiful news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just conclude with Ephesians 10. Uh, pardon me, 2, 1 through 10. And you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which case you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses. Listen to these verbs. God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you hear many of the same concepts there? Because of the new covenant, get up, put on the righteousness of Christ and shake off the dust of your guilt you have been raised with Christ. You have been seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Your salvation is as secure as Christ's position. Now get going. Leave sin behind and walk in purity. Praise God for the gospel. Let's pray. God, we do. We praise you for the gospel. We thank you. We thank you that we have heard the 
the good news that came from the beautiful feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and the beautiful feet of the apostles and the beautiful feet of the church and the beautiful feet of our parents. And may we share the same good news with those around us, the news that says we don't have to be defeated by sin and suffering anymore because you have done everything necessary so that we can live in victory. Now enable us by your grace to actually do that this week. For our good, but to put your glory on display in our homes and workplaces and neighborhoods. May you receive all the glory in Jesus' name.